Good morning. One of my favorite missionaries to, to read about is Adoniram Judson. So Adoniram Judson was a missionary in Burma in the early 1800s. Uh, he was one of the earliest missionaries there, and he was a faithful man of God, serving, sharing the gospel, um, did not see his first convert baptized until seven years after he started his work, but he persevered. So he was in Burma, and after several years of being there, uh, there was political turmoil where they imprisoned every foreigner. He was a foreigner, so he was imprisoned, leaving his wife and newborn baby girl to fend for themselves, and there was nothing he can do. But as happened often, his wife became very sick, could no longer nurse this newborn baby girl, so the prison where he was imprisoned allowed Adoniram Judson to take his baby girl and go from house to house begging women to nurse his baby because his wife could no longer do it. But to no avail because only a few months after all this happened, his wife passed away, and a few months after that, his newborn baby girl passed away. In fact, Judson had three wives, all who died because of sickness of where they were. He himself died because he got in an illness being where he was. But he was persevering and sharing the gospel even after losing so much. And I look at that heart and I say, I want that heart for God, for people, for the gospel. But my heart might look a little bit more of the flip side of that. When you think of evangelizing or sharing the gospel, what many people outside of the church might think of is the people picketing with signs that says, God hates you fill in the blank. Or what about, what kind of heart leads to that? Or what kind of heart leads to someone not even thinking or caring about the lost? Or think, what kind of heart leads to you being afraid to even say or do something when it comes to reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ? So in this series, we're talking about this is us. This is who we are at New Life Church. This is who we should be as individual believers. We, first week, we looked at worship. Last week, we looked at community. This week, we're going to look at missions. But I don't want to just get up here, read the Great Commission. Jesus commands us to go and share the gospel, so go do it, and then leave. Because I don't know if you find yourself in the same position that I am, where I, I struggle with, with missions because my heart is often either very apathetic or I become nervous and uncomfortable with telling people you're a sinner, there's a punishment and, and what is that going to make them feel? Are they going to reject me? My heart is not the heart often of Adoniram Judson. So this morning what I want to try to do looking at God's word is get the, beneath the surface of missions and look at how do you how do I get the heart where we're willing to say, take everything from me, I just want to know God and make him known. 
That's what I want to look at this morning. But it's not something I can just convince you of or do. It has to be the work of God, the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I would encourage you, you be praying quietly to yourself, Lord, speak to us. So let's just do that now. God, I love you. I love these people that I am looking at. They are loved by you. Lord, I stand up here and I know I, I struggle to obey you in this area. And I'm sure there are many out there who do, does too. Lord, I pray that we will not walk away feeling guilty, beating ourselves up. But you will start a work this morning where our hearts are made, where we will have a heart for missions. I pray that us as a church and us, those of us here who are believers, that we will be intentional. I pray, God, that you will be working this morning, work in me, through me, in and through the people who are here together this morning. I I thank you that we could be here. You're a good God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So in order to even get beneath the surface of what missions is, what we need to do is first ask, what is missions? You can't get to the roots of something if you don't know what that thing is. So it's going to be up there on the screen. We're going to look at what missions is and isn't real quickly, but I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark sixteen fifteen. Real simple verse, but uh, I like simple. So Mark sixteen fifteen says this, and this is Jesus speaking. Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. There is a lot of confusion, I think, of what missions is. Missions is not social justice. Missions is not feeding the homeless. Missions is not saying nice things. It's not just doing simple nice things. All good things that need to happen. All things that can happen around what missions is But missions is simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what missions is. Feeding the hungry absolutely needs to happen. Jesus commands it. That only stops in the temporary and does not fix their eternal state before God. Only the gospel does. So Mark 16, 15 before we even get into everything else, if God just dropped an opportunity to share the gospel on your lap, would you even know what to say? Now, ultimately, God the Holy Spirit works in the moment, but do you know how to quickly, simply share the gospel in your own words? That's the the first step to being someone that can be a missionary and go out there is knowing the gospel. I love Romans 5.8. It's up there on the screen. It's, It's one of my favorites. Quickly, simply summarizes the good news. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. The good news, there is a holy God who must punish sin. You and I are sinners by birth and by nature, deserving of the eternal punishment, eternity spent away from God in hell. But God loves you and me so much that he sent his perfect son to die for us, even though we were still sinners, take the punishment for sin, rise again, defeating sin and death, so that if you repent, turn from your sins, and believe, you will be saved here, but also be able to spend eternity with God forever. That is the good news that we are to herald, preach to all the world. But here's the reality. We often don't think about the spiritual reality that's true of all of us. So we just observed the anniversary of 9-11 just a couple of weeks ago. And I was listening to a podcast of sorts where these men were talking about how they had a friend who lived in New York City when 9-11 occurred. But he had been so intoxicated, he didn't know what had happened until either that evening or the next day And he realized that as he walked outside of his apartment, started talking to people, and saw what had happened. He was completely cut off from reality. And I think that could be true of all of us, where we don't even always consciously realize that there is a need for missions. There is a local need. Take a moment, close your eyes, Think about people you know, friends, family, co-workers that don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. I can picture several people. We often are coaxed into forgetting the reality. You can open your eyes now. Coaxed into forgetting the reality that they will spend an eternity apart from God if they do not know Jesus. It's easy to get so comfortable and busy that we forget that reality, but it is true. Take a moment to let that sit in. Not just that, but think of the need globally. Do you know how many unreached people there are? There's about 3.11 billion people that don't have access to God's word and have never heard of the gospel. And it's easy to look at that big number and be like, wow, that's a lot. But take a moment and think about that. There is a need locally and globally. And if you are here and you have believed in Jesus, Mark sixteen fifteen is our hearts should burn when we read this and think about this. Our hearts should burn and be burdened. Lord, whatever happens, take everything away from me. I just want to know you and make you known. That should be my heart and that should be your heart. But maybe it's not. I know sometimes in my own life, that's not my heart. I don't think about the reality that I know Many, many people who are going to spend an eternity from God. My heart does not weep for those people as much as it should. 
What is wrong with my heart when that happens? And maybe you're in a similar boat. What is happening with our heart when that happens, when we don't burn like that, when we don't weep for the lost? Let's, let's go beneath the surface now. Let's look at that. It's going to be up there on the screen, but I always encourage you, turn to God's word. We're going to be in Luke 18, and after I read it, we, we do have to address something about the passage So starting in verse 9 all the way to verse 14, Lord, please speak to our hearts. Verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, will not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now look in these few verses. Is the gospel or missions anywhere there? No. So why are we looking at these few verses when we're talking about missions and sharing the gospel? Why? Because this passage gets to the heart. It gets to the root of missions. Look there in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Who is this parable for? Yes, all people who read it. But why was Jesus telling the story with the message? It was for those who are self-righteous arrogant, who thought they were all right with God because of the things they did outwardly. That's who Jesus was talking to specifically. Look there in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So it it can be easy to forget the cultural context, the significance of these two people. Pharisee was a religious leader who everyone would have automatically thought This guy's right with God. I want to be like that. God God is delighting in him. The tax collector was someone that basically everyone hated. I mean, I don't think anyone here likes the IRS, unless you work for them, and if you do, I'm sorry. (laughs) But no one's like, yeah, high five. So it's easy to see why the tax collector wasn't uh, usually liked by those at that time. But not only that, they were often very corrupt and greedy. And if it was a Jewish tax collector, they were seen as someone that kind of sold out to the Roman conquerors. Tax collectors were often seen as the, the dirty, the unrighteous. God would, would never, ever work in that guy's life. Thinking of it in modern day terms, let's just think of it, switch out Pharisee for pastor, and then you switch out tax collector for whoever you think of when you think of the undesirable or when people walk down the street, you, you kind of look down on them. You fill in that blank. 
I mean, this was huge for the people that Jesus was talking to. But let's look at this Pharisee, someone that would have automatically been like, God's, God, God's with that guy. Look at him. Verse 11. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Can you hear his tone? I I can hear it as I read it. Why did he think so well of himself? Because he had all these outward acts of obedience and because he was looking at the other sinners around them and said, well, at least I'm not like that. I don't do that. He thought he was right with God solely based on the outward acts of obedience and appearance. Now, the temptation can be when you read that to think, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. That's, that's them to a T. Or to think, oh, man, that's, that's totally that person. This, this is talking about that person. Man, I got to send them this. But take a moment and think about you. The reality is we all probably do this. Actually, I think everyone does this. Naturally, we're bent towards comparing ourselves to others, bringing them down, bringing ourselves up, justify things we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. I've talked to many, many people who think they are right with God solely based on, well, I do these certain good things. Or, look at these other people, I've never done that, so clearly I'm going to be right in God's book. Think about you when you read this prayer from the Pharisee. Now, I don't think anyone has ever actually prayed these specific words. I don't think so. I feel like you'd have to be a sociopath if you actually prayed like that. But it's the heart. And I think we've all probably thought that, prayed something similar, or just lived that out. It is true of all of us. I'm not like that person, so I am better. Who is the Pharisee focused on in his prayer? He's focused on himself. The first heart that we see here is the heart for self, completely self-absorbed. This parable of the Pharisee and tax collector is the tale of two hearts. First heart is the self-absorbed heart. I see this attitude in unbelievers. Maybe they think they're saved, but they're not, or... um, They're just totally far from God. This this can often be seen in those who are far from God. But it's also an attitude in believers, sadly. Sometimes maybe more so in believers because they're so focused on the simple act of doing good, being good on the outside. I'm religious. I I do these things, so I'm, I'm, I'm better. And often it comes from a slow drift a hardness of heart, a self-reliance of, I believe in Jesus, I'm just going to put him in my back pocket, pull it out whenever I need to. The, the, the believer that does this is, is often comparing themselves to others in order to feel better or to reinfer, reinforce how good they think they are, how much better they are than everybody else. They sit on a ledge 
they've built for themselves on the shoulders of other people they think are not as good as them. And as I look at the Pharisee, I see myself. That's me to a T. What does the heart for self lead to? Think. In your own life or in people you see, what, what does this heart for self, this self-absorbed heart, I'm, I, I'm all right with God because I do these certain things, or at least I'm not like this other person. I don't do these certain things. What does that heart lead to? Look there in the passage. What does it lead to? Specifically, verse, verse 11 and 12. Well, it leads to pride. It leads to a blindness to sin. He doesn't say anything like, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me for my sins. Completely blind to sin. Do you see that the tax collector is in his prayers? And I hope this guy wasn't praying out loud because that's really awkward. They would not have been that far apart probably. The tax collector is in his prayers, but it's not, Lord, save that guy. It's, God, thank you, I'm not that guy. What else does it lead to? Well, it leads to following a false gospel that thinks I'm all right with God, totally based on what's going on the outside, totally forgetting that the day that we stand before God, if we were to hold a list of all the good things that we do, we would be totally embarrassed when shown how filthy our righteous deeds are apart from God and just how much we have rebelled against the creator of the universe. It leads to a false gospel thinking we are saved and made right with God based on the work of ourselves, not the work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What else does this heart for self lead to? It leads to a picking and choosing. I don't really want to obey that part. So I'm going to leave that there, but I'm going to pick this part. It leads to a constant nitpicking and pointing out other people's the, the things they're doing wrong, but not their own hearts. I am guilty of this. Mark Dever, a pastor in Washington, D.C., said this, and I think this is the Pharisee, this is me, this might be you to a T. The heart that thinks lightly of their sin will think lightly of their Savior. So what does the heart for self lead to? When you're so self-absorbed, it leads to a not taking sin seriously. And when you don't take your sin seriously, you forget about just how much you need God's mercy and help. And you start to think lightly of Jesus, of the cross, of the need for a pursuit of holiness. It leads to the picketing with signs, the apathy of not caring about those who are lost, or even the fear to witness. But being honest, back in March, I, I felt this, this tugging of the Holy Spirit to go out and talk to these two guys in the parking lot who were playing basketball. And in that moment, I had a heart for self because I did everything to justify why I wasn't going to go out there and talk to them. Well, I'm washing dishes. Well, it's going to be really awkward. You know how I hate awkward situations. I, I can't do that. I don't know them. It was picking, choosing, justifying, thinking lightly of my sin, thinking lightly of their eternal state. 
The Pharisee had a heart for self. You and I often have a heart for self, and it breeds all kind of sick sin. Verse 14 is terrifying. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified, talking about the tax collector, rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It should terrify us when we read, the one who exalts themselves will be humbled. It might happen here on earth, but the humbling will certainly happen when we stand before God one day and are totally taken aback by how holy he is and how sinful we are. On the day of judgment, there will be no thinking lightly of sin and the Savior by anyone. Even those who reject Christ now, there will be no thinking lightly on that day. And when I'm being arrogant and prideful, which happens often, I sometimes try to stop and reflect on what it's going to be like to stand before God. The humbling will come for the heart that is self-absorbed. So if you're here and maybe you you struggle with missions, you, you struggle with the apathy of not really thinking or caring or doing anything or or you're you're struggling with the, the fear that often comes from a heart for self. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but let's look at verses 13 to 14. You can hear the tone of the Pharisee in verses 10 to 12. Man, I, I, can, I, can, I can picture the tax collector. The tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. How would you describe the tax collector? Think. Say humble. Why? Why was he so humble? I look at that heart and I want that heart. Observe how he speaks in in his posture before God on his knees, striking his chest. He was awake to the reality that we often fall asleep to. There is one true holy God who we are all accountable to, believers and unbelievers. He was awake to the reality that he is a filthy, rotten sinner like you and I. And that he was in need of God's great mercy. He was awake to reality. Now think, what kind of heart, what does this lead to? Well, certainly he wasn't looking at other people saying, at least I'm not that guy. There was no justification of his sin. What else? Picture how he would have responded when he heard the gospel or was reminded of it. Picture that. Someone on his knees crying out, God have mercy on me. If someone came and said, hey, this Jesus who is here now, he's going to die on the cross to take your sin and the punishment you deserve. He's going to arise again, defeating sin and death. You're going to have a relationship with the creator of the universe here, and someday you will be able to spend eternity with God forever. Think of his response. 
His heart would have soared at the gospel. And I am fearful of my own heart because it is far too easy for me to hear the gospel and nothing happens in my heart. And that is because I am thinking lightly of my sin and my Savior. I'm kicking myself because I I did not uh, take note of where I heard this. But Charles Spurgeon, famous uh, pastor in London uh, a couple hundred years ago, someone had walked into the room and he was weeping. And when asked why, he said, I'm reading the gospel, but nothing is happening in my heart. If we are thinking seriously about our sin and if we are fearing God, our hearts should soar at reading and hearing the gospel because God became man to save us sinners. Our hearts should soar. May that be true of my heart and your heart. So the first man's heart was a heart for self. I think it's easy to see how that can lead to apathy and fear, picking and choosing, justifying. The second heart, the heart was for God. He was God-focused, God-centered. He feared God. His heart would have soared at hearing the gospel. He had a heart that had beat for God. So we understand the heart for self and what that leads to. No question about that. I see that in my own life every single day. But how does a heart for God lead to a heart for missions? How does a heart that fears God, sees our own sin, does not think of those things lightly, how does that lead to a heart like Adoniram Judson, who is going to persevere sharing the gospel when he has lost three wives, children, imprisoned, lost everything? How do we have that kind of heart? How do I have that kind of heart? How how does that lead to a heart for missions? It's up there on the screen, but look at Isaiah 6. I think it's a very similar situation to what was happening with the tax collector. Now, this is probably one of the most famous chapters in Isaiah 6, and for good reason. In verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I, Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. 
I think this is remarkably similar to what happened in the tax collector. Let's look at it real quickly. Verses one through four, we see how holy and mighty God is. Angels, the seraphim, are flying around crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. God is holy, separate from sin. No one is like him. The temple filled with smoke. Foundations of the doorways shook as they spoke. Do you ever think about your response, what your response will be when you stand before Jesus one day? People sometimes ask, like, I wonder what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do. I think what Isaiah said and did is what we're all going to do. I don't think we're going to have words to say anything. We're going to be so in awe of how holy and mighty God is. And like we see here, and like I said, there will be no thinking lightly of sin or our Savior on that day. Now, what's really interesting is verse 5. What does he do? He says, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. He's saying, I am a sinner. But what happened right after he said, I'm a sinner? If you have your Bibles open, look there in verse 5. He saw the sin of the other people around him. I want to get to that in a second. Look at verses 6 to 7. That's always confusing. What's this about tongs and coals? It's a picture of what happens when one believes in Jesus. And we have a better picture of that now. So iniquity removed, sin removed, sin is atoned for. We have a a great picture. See, Isaiah, he knew there was a Messiah coming. He prophesied about it all throughout the book, but he didn't understand exactly how it was all going to work out. We do. The Messiah that he was prophesying many, 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 many years before the Messiah came. The Messiah came. He was our substitute. Died the death we deserve. Took our sin. So that if we repent and believe, sin is removed. There is no needing to say, woe is me. We can be in the presence of God. That's the message shared in missions. Now in verse eight, God is saying, who should I send? Who will go for us? There was a message to go out to to Israel. Messiah is coming. Repent and believe. A big message. And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Why did he say, here I am, send me? Because he did not think lightly of his sin. He did not think lightly of his God. And he did not think lightly of the sin of the other people around him. He had a heart for missions. Why? Because he had a heart for God. He saw who God was. He saw who he was. And he saw who the people around him were. I think we see something similar. The verse isn't up there on the screen. I'm going to read it quickly in John 14, 5. No, that's not it. Anyway. Jesus says somewhere in the Gospels, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That's why you double-check your references. But even there in the Gospels, we see obedience flows from what? The heart. 
This is something the Pharisee didn't understand. God does not just want your outward actions in obedience. It flows from the heart. When you trust in Jesus Christ, your heart is changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Affections start being rearranged. Obedience flows from a heart that is converted. A heart is not converted by obedience. So we've, we've seen missions what missions is, we see the heart that opposes missions, a heart that thinks lightly of sin and their savior, that thinks lightly of the sin of the other people around them. And we've seen the heart at the root of missions, a heart that beats for God. A heart that says, Jesus, take everything away from me if you must. I want to know you and make you known. And and in the last little part, I just want to look at how do we get that heart? How do we keep that heart? Because there are so many dangers to the heart for God and the heart for missions. The two that I just want to quickly talk about is the danger for, of comfort and the danger of busyness. One of my favorite hymns is uh, Lead Us Back. And in there, uh, there's, there's a line in one of the verses that says, Comfort sings a siren tune. Comfort sings a siren tune. In mythology, sirens were pretty dangerous creatures who seemed harmless and inviting, but would lure sailors to their death. It was something that was inviting, seemed harmless, something the sailors wanted already. They ran to it and found out too late it was deadly. Comfort sings a siren tune because you and I don't like awkward, uncomfortable situations. We don't like dying to ourselves. We don't like pursuing holiness naturally. We don't like rejection but we run to comfort. But think about what happens in your own heart when you get really, really comfortable. What often happens? You're not often thinking of other people. Comfort breeds this heart for self where it's all all about you, your needs, your wants, and it puts you to sleep to reality that we are all accountable to a holy God. And oftentimes, we want to be put asleep to reality. Comfort sings a siren tune. The other danger is, is busyness. So Corey Ten Boom, famous missionary, who my grandmother knew personally. This is pretty cool. But Corey Ten Boom said this, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. If the devil cannot tempt us with sin, he will make us busy. So what happens when we're busy? I think about my own heart, my own life. When I am busy, I'm often really only focused on me, on my to-do list, on everything that's focused on me. I become very me-centered. The heart for self begins to grow. And as that happens, I might start rejecting, not rejecting, but maybe shortening time with God. It's easy maybe to justify, well, skip it today, I'll I'll do it tomorrow. 
a slow drift, a slow hardness of heart. The danger of busyness and comfort is real, and they are dangerous. How do we fight those dangers? I don't know about you, but I look at my schedule and I think, man, I don't, I don't know how it can get less busy. Now, some of us absolutely need to rework our priorities. I think about myself. I was thinking about this yesterday. I need to sacrifice a couple of things so I can make sure I'm carving out a chunk of time where I am reading and praying through God's word. I'm spending quiet time with him. I need to, I need to cut out some things. and I know there are things that I can cut out. Maybe true of you, maybe not. We need to rework our priorities. Where's our heart? Self, everything around me, or is it a heart for God? But sometimes there's just nothing you can do about the busyness, generally. I can't add something else to my schedule. I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to fight these things and, and how I'm supposed to go out and share the gospel with people. I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I was, I was listening to a sermon and we'll unpack this a little bit more in a moment, um, about the gospel and about missions from, from Matt Chandler, who's over in Texas. And he was talking about, it's not necessarily about adding something else to your schedule, it's about being intentional with where you are. So you and I are placed where we are for a very specific reason. So when you're going to the coffee place, when you're working out at the gym, when you're at school, when you're with family and friends, it's this intentional, let's start conversations. Let's, let's intentionally pray for people. Let's intentionally get out of my comfort zone. So as far as the busyness, there isn't an excuse if you're being intentional. And I know that in my own heart. And I gotta work through my pride and selfishness. And as far as comfort, you got to start chiseling it away, slowly getting into awkward, uncomfortable situations where you might be rejected. Slowly over time, the Lord chisels that where your heart beats for him and will go into an uncomfortable situation. Hey, where are you at with God? Because your heart is no longer obsessed about self but is totally focused on the creator of the universe. Now, I want want to get down into the practical heart of missions before we close. Open up, I'm going to open up real quick to Mark 16, 15. We already did, but it's a good verse, simple verse. I like that it's simple. Mark 16, 15, let's remind ourselves, because I want to get down, what does this look like practically? Mark 16, 15. Then he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. We've already seen the missions is necessary. This is how God has ordained it that the gospel will go out. Now God, he can do whatever he wants. In, in, in the Middle East, there are amazing stories of how God will put dreams and visions in uh, People who are far from God, Muslims, and who will come to a Christian who wasn't expecting it, and they're saying, I was told in this dream to talk to you about Jesus. 
Boom, opportunity to share the gospel. Are you kidding me? God can do whatever he wants. But missions, going out, getting uncomfortable, sharing the gospel, as God has ordained it to save his people, it is necessary because we are all naturally lost on a road to hell with a first-class ticket unless God intervenes. Missions is necessary. It's non-negotiable. If you are here and you have believed in Jesus, it's not something we can just pick and choose and justify why we cannot do it. I do that in my heart, but I, I can't. Missions is remarkable. It's easy for me to look at missions and be like, man, this is uncomfortable. This is hard. Like, uh, all these things. Missions is remarkable. Psalm 8.1 says this. There we go. Actually, verse 4. Psalm 8.4. What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. What is a human being that you remember him? Who are you and who are I? That Not only that God created us, not only that God knows us, not only that God saves us, but who are we that God says, here's the gospel, have a part in my plan to save my people. That should be, I should be blown away by that. And what is even more remarkable? Any Christian can do it. There can be a tendency to say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary, or I don't know these certain things, so I can't. I'm here to tell you, man, some of the most faithful witnesses I know are not in full-time ministry. I think back at our church at Alden, there is uh, an elderly woman, Dot Daniels, who lost her husband recently, but she's been witnessing to her caretakers as she has gotten sick, and at least one of them have believed in Jesus. Not in ministry, doesn't have a degree in theology, but so faithful. I think of the church that we came from before we came here in New Life in Jackson. Fred, recent convert, no theological degree, not in full-time ministry, but he loved people, and he would talk about Jesus all the time. And he was one of those guys that could just make friends with anyone. I'm amazed by those people. I'm amazed by the gospel, amazed by missions, amazed by those people who can do that. Oh, man, he was so faithful. I think of little Patty here before she went on to be with the Lord. So faithful. Everyone that met her knew she knew Jesus and loved him and wanted him to be made known. Missions is remarkable because God can use any believer to have a part in God's plan to save his people. May it be that we are never, ever left unamazed by the gospel and by missions. Lord, may that not be true of my own heart. Missions is remarkable. And it's hard. But in my own life, as I have wrestled with missions and getting uncomfortable and dying to myself, my faith has grown as God has worked. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But as you go out, share the gospel with people, pray, it builds your faith. It shows you how awesome and powerful God is. And it's amazing to think that one day you will see the fruit in heaven. So let's, let's get practical for just a couple moments. 
What does this look like practically? And whenever I hear stuff on evangelism and missions, I have that heart for self often. I want to start chiseling away on that. What does that look like? Here's just a couple things for you to think about, process, and, and start doing. One, you need to know the gospel. If you have believed in Jesus, you need to know the gospel and how to share it simply, clearly. So if you don't, that is a big issue. If you noticed, when we first looked at Mark 6.15, I quickly shared the gospel using Romans 5.8, an order that always helps me is God, man, Jesus, salvation. God, man, Jesus, salvation. The mission-minded person is going to know the gospel and know how to communicate it. The mission-minded person is going to pray, be on their knees, crying out to God, weeping for lost souls. And they're going to pray specifically. They're going to pray big prayers. Pray often. Use a prayer guide. So two apps I do not use as often as I should, but two apps I use are uh, Unreached of the Day or Operation World. I pray. Mary Slessor wrote, prayer is the greatest power God has put into our hands for service. Praying is harder than doing, at least I find it so, but the dynamic lies that way to advance the kingdom. And every major missions movement in history began with prayer. We gotta be carving out that time to pray for people. And God has answered my prayer sometimes in such cool ways. So a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was praying, God, provide opportunities to be a witness and share the gospel. And that week, three opportunities kind of showed themselves. One, I was, I was taken aback by, but it was, it was amazing to see, okay, God answers these prayers. I remember one time, I had been praying that week, like, God, I am terrified sometimes of, of going out, getting uncomfortable, sharing the gospel. Please help me. Please provide a way. And <laughs> I, I had gotten in a conflict with Allison uh, that morning, probably my fault. Uh, this, was, this was last year. Um, and, and I walked out of the house, grumbling to myself. And there was a man on the steps of the church. And I felt this tugging of the heart. I need to go talk to him. And I was like, there's no way. Come on. My, my heart's not right. I'm not doing it. Forget it. And I was sitting in my office, and I was like, I, 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 can't, I can't do that. I, I have to go talk to him. And, and I went out. Rodney was his name, and I was able to talk to him two times. Like God answers these prayers. Pray big. Pray specifically. Pray for the people around you. I, I, I have a directory of the church, and I pray for all of you by name. And I write in names of people that I encounter. This guy, Alex, on the Asbury Park Boardwalk, pray for him. He's in there reminding me, pray for the people around you. Rejoice, even when you don't get the opportunity. Maybe someone else does. Rejoice when God works through and in someone else. Always be looking and weaving in ways to talk about God. I've I've done this a couple of times where I'll just start talking. I'll say, hey, what do you believe about God? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And could, could I share my thoughts after? I've done that a couple of times and it, it opens up the conversation. Use God's word because God's word remains forever. God's word is powerful. Remember heaven and hell. It's not our main motivation, but it, it, it 
motivates us. Submit and obey even when the feelings aren't there. My feelings often aren't there. I naturally run away from uncomfortable situations. There's certain TV shows where it's like it gets uncomfortable, like they're doing some socially awkward thing. I'm like, I got to leave. I got to get out of the room. I, I run from that. And there's times where I've had to say, God, I don't want to obey, but I know I have to. Please help me. And God works every single time. Trust that God brings the results. I have shared the gospel many times to people gathered, to individuals. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know what God will do five years, 10 years, 20 years on their deathbed. Share the gospel, trust, and rejoice. Before we close, I just want to look real quick, literally real quick. First Thessalonians 5, 24. He who calls you is faithful, he will do it. If you have believed in Jesus, God has called you to go share the gospel, get uncomfortable, walk into times where you're going to get rejected. God is faithful, will keep his promises. Obey. Be on your knees weeping and praying and asking God to work and look. I'm going to pray in a moment. And after I'm done praying, the offering plates are going to come from the back forward. Uh, stay seated until the offering plates uh, pass you. But if you are here and you have believed in Jesus and, and maybe wrestling with some of these things, trying to figure them out, you can write that on the connect card and drop it in the plate. I, someone else here, would love to have a conversation with you about that. Class one, two, and three can help that process of figuring out how can I clearly, quickly communicate the gospel? How do I do this? And if you are here, you have not believed in Jesus, write on the connect card, hey, I have some doubts. I want to talk to someone about that. Do that. Someone will contact you or turn to someone next to you and and ask those questions. God is faithful. He is good. Missions is remarkable. Let us not think lightly of our sin, of God, or the sins of others around us. Lord, I thank you for who you are. God, I I know I am so flawed when it comes to missions. I know my heart is so self-absorbed. Please help my heart to beat for you. God, I pray you will help me and I pray you help everyone in here. I thank you for them. I love them very much. Help their hearts to beat for you. Help us to be a church that our heart beats for you. Thank you that you are faithful even when we are not faithful at all. In your name, amen.